Good morning. It's good to see everybody here. Very thankful that you are with us this morning. And for those of you who are visiting, we're very glad that you're here and thankful for your presence here this morning. I want to thank all the, all the kids for being here. I want to echo what Brother Callum was saying. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's really amazing to see young people interested and as dedicated as you guys have been this week. And it's really an inspiration to, I guess now I get to call myself an old person. I hit 50, so <laughs> uh, I used to be you uh, not too long ago. It seems like it was yesterday. I think Paul Kevin can probably nod because it was me and Paul Kevin probably and a lot of others around here running around doing the same thing. Anyway, very glad for you. And again, I just want to thank the congregation for the opportunity to speak this morning. And I, I hope the things that we have to talk about this morning are things that will be edifying. This morning I want to talk about the rebellion of Korah. And it's a story that we find in Numbers, the 16th chapter. I want to go through portions of that story with you this morning and talk about some things that I think we can learn. I think this is a very, uh, not only interesting story, but I think it's got a lot of, of really fundamental and fantastic concepts in it for us as we think about our Christian lives, as we think about our relationship with our Savior. In Numbers chapter 16, in the first four verses, the Bible says, Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and on the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took man, and they rose up before Moses and some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. They gathered, them, they gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? So when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. So this is the story of the beginning of the rebellion that Korah begins to foment in the children of Israel. Now, in order to understand the context of this, which is important, it's important to understand what has transpired ahead of this rebellion. The children of Israel had escaped Egypt. We'll talk a little more about that later. They had come through the wilderness, and they had gone to Mount Sinai. They had approached the land of Canaan. They had heard the report of the 12 spies. They understood what the land of Canaan was like because they were told that by the spies. And yet the people refused to go, and they wandered in the wilderness. God provided manna for them in the wilderness. And now we have a situation where they are sitting, and, and Koath is now fomenting this rebellion. As he foment, uh, uh, Korah, I'm not Koath, not Korah. And as Korah begins to foment this rebellion, there are some things about this that I think are readily apparent to us. There are, this is an ugly scene. Do you ever get uncomfortable whenever somebody kind of just, boy, they do something that is just out of, out of line. And here's Korah approaching the high priest of the nation of Israel and saying, you've exalted yourself. You've taken a position you don't deserve. We're all just as good as you. And you can see what's going on with Korah and with the men that are with him. They are eaten up with envy and with pride. Do you ever feel that way? I don't mean have you ever said, maybe some of you have had a situation where you said some things like what Korah says here. And that's, it's terrible. But I'm guessing that 
Most, if not all of us this morning, have had these feelings in our heart just as bad. Maybe we look at other people and we wonder why they get opportunities we don't get. Maybe we look at other things and we are jealous of somebody else's situation in life or maybe some of the talents God has bestowed upon them. Maybe we feel like we need a more prominent position in the service of God and we're upset that we don't have it. Folks, those are sins of envy and pride and they were eating Korah and all these men up. The Bible talks about envy and pride. In Galatians chapter 5 and in verse number 26, it says, Let us not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You know, sometimes that happens in a congregation. And that can be a very devastating thing. Folks, we're supposed to be family. We're supposed to love each other. But we're human. I don't want anybody to ever say this in this congregation, but... Sometimes I'm jealous of my brothers. No, nobody say anything, nobody tell them. Uh, but sometimes they, they do things and they have opportunities that I wish I had. It's okay. That's my pride and my envy. And that's a sin. And maybe sometimes you're like that. Maybe sometimes you envy others. And, and God says that is a big problem. In Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You know, every time I've let pride get the best of me, it really does seem like this first comes true. There's usually some pretty bad consequence that comes out of it. There's usually some comeuppance that I get at some point. And if you're like that, if you've had pride, and like I said, we're all human, so I, don't, I doubt very seriously that we have anybody here tonight who's not had some form of pride in their life. Folks, it'll set you up for a fall, and it's killing Cora. And in James chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, the writer says, But if you, bitter, if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is, listen, earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. You know, I think if you look at the sins that you and I have, can commit, and there's unfortunately a list too far for us to number, how many of those sins do you think go back to these two root causes? Selfishness, pride, and envy. Every last one of them, really, stems from those roots. And so Korah is sitting here in front, of, in front of Moses and Aaron with his pride and envy on full display. He just can't take it anymore. He's not the high priest. He's just a Levite. And he doesn't think that's good enough to work in the temple. He wants to be in charge. And so he's upset. And Moses' reaction to this is something that I'd like to notice. And that is that he falls on his face whenever Korah does it. Moses react, uh, uh, reacts with, you know, just the opposite of Korah's problem. Korah's got pride and envy. Moses humbles himself. You know, another problem here is, um, is a lie that is often distorted as a truth. You know, a lot of times, that's the best lie. I know that because I'm a lawyer, and I've seen a lot of lies by a lot of witnesses. The best lies are the ones that have an element of truth to them. That's usually the ones that are the best. 
If I told you this morning that, that I had just flown in from Mars, you would all laugh and know that that's a lie. If I told you this morning that on the way to church that I had hit a bird in the road, well, that's plausible. It, but it's still a lie because we didn't hit a bird. Birds hit us. Our car is a mess because we parked it underneath the tree. But the best lies often have a kernel of truth. Exodus chapter 19 and verse number 6, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Korah comes to Moses and he says, Why are you so special? We're all holy. You take too much on yourselves. Why do you get to be exalted? And you know what? There was an element of truth in what Korah was saying. Because God had indeed told the children of Israel that everybody is holy. So what Korah has done is he is taking a piece of God's word and he is distorting it, he is misrepresenting it, he is twisting it in order to accomplish a lie. We need to be careful with the word of God. We need to be careful with the representations that we make. You know, our Savior in Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 through 7 says, Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. This is Satan talking. He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall hear you, bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Quoting Old Testament scripture. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. What was Satan doing? Satan was taking a kernel of truth. He was misrepresenting that kernel of truth, and he was changing it into a lie. Do you want to know why there is so much religious division today? It's because we have a lot of lies that are wrapped in a kernel of truth. We have congregations that say things that sound good. Things that track some of the language in the Bible. Yet whenever you add all the things up together, they don't, or they're not true to the entire Bible. We talked last night about doing the whole word of God, not adding to or taking from it. And so, folks, as you are out in the world and you're confronting religious uh, institutions, others that would like for you to think about their doctrine, remember, remember, remember that the best lies are wrapped in a kernel of truth. Don't accept it because one verse is quoted. Study it. See whether that's really the case. Because oftentimes, lies are the best lies when they have a little bit of truth to them. As I said, the response of Moses here is that he falls on his face. He also proposes a test for God to reveal who is true and holy. That was Moses' reaction. Moses didn't yell back. Moses didn't get puffed up with pride and, and try and beat Korah down. Instead, Moses simply said, look, we're going to have a test. Tomorrow you're going to take censers and fire, and you're going to put fire and incense in them, and God is going to show his judgment. God is going to let us know what his reaction to your rebellion is. This reminds me of Elijah and the prophets of Baal when Elijah was confronted, and he proposed a test. And I'm going to make a big deal out of that this morning, but what I want to say is don't be afraid to trust God. Moses did. Moses said, you know, he was sitting here in front of a rebellion, this was no small rebellion. It, you know, we call it the rebellion of Korah. It's a little misleading. It's the rebellion of Korah and a whole bunch of other people, including 250 men who were well, renowned in the congregation. These are people that are well-known. 
This is no small thing. And, and Moses, in the face of this rebellion, says, I'll tell you what, we're just going to have a test, and I'm going to put my lot with God. And again, like we talked about last night, don't be afraid to trust God. Put, him, put yourselves in, your, in his hand. Let him work for you because God is faithful and trustworthy. Now, Numbers chapter 6, verses 8 through 11, Then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to serve them? And that he has brought you near to himself, you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi with you. And are you seeking the priesthood also? Therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you complain against him? Moses says, look, he tries to plead with Korah. He doesn't get mad. He just tries to reason with him. He says, Korah, listen, you're a Levite. That's, that's a big deal. God has separated you to work in the tabernacle. Is that a small thing? Do you not see how important that is? Do you not see how privileged you are? And, and why would you come against the high priest? Why would you do that? Moses is trying to reason with him. And you know, sometimes we misperceive, and what he's trying to demonstrate to Korah is, Korah, you've been blessed. You have talents. You have a place in God's work. But for Korah, it wasn't good enough. You know, and sometimes we can be like this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 7, Paul there says, For who makes you differ from one another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you have not received it? What he's basically saying here is, look, whatever talents we've got, they're not because of us. They're not. They're because of God. If you've got a great singing voice, God bless you. But you know what? You didn't, you know do something tremendous to get that good singing voice, you probably were born with it. There's a lot of natural talent that goes there. If you're able to stand up and speak, then please come relieve me. But uh, if you're able to come up and speak and you could do so great, that's probably a talent God gave you. If you've got the talent to go see somebody in the hospital and really connect with people on an individual level, that's a talent God gave you, and that's an important one. If, you're, if your talent is just to be a smiling face and to make people feel better and happy when they come into the congregation, folks, that's a talent. Christy will tell you sometimes I don't have, I don't, some of the, you know, my kids joke with me and say that sometimes I'm not a lover of people because I'm not all, you know, giddy all the time. I'm telling you, it's a talent. And whatever talents we have came from God. And when we start envying people and whenever we start saying, I wish I had this or I wish I had that, what we're really doing is we're questioning God's allocation of talent. And folks, we don't want to be in that position. In 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. I have to tell you, I'm a... I'm a um, uh, and I don't know if this will, this will probably get me run out of here because of where I am at, but I'm a big Longhorn fan, so I apologize. Um, you, as most of you know who are football fans, they've now allowed colleges to essentially start paying players. And whenever they passed this law, one of the first things the University of Texas did was they set up a fund, and they said that every offensive lineman for University of Texas gets $150,000. Can you imagine that? They all get $150,000 a year. One of the funniest things I saw was one of Texas's linebackers who tweeted, I would like to announce my 
Uh, I'd like to thank the coach for allowing me to play linebacker, but I'd like to announce my position change to offensive lineman. (laughs) You see, he he wanted some of that. He thought that was pretty good. You know, in offensive linemen, I'm sure there are lots of offensive linemen that would love to be quarterbacks. But they can't do it. That's not their talent. But you know what? If you put a quarterback on the offensive line, that ain't going to work either. Whoever's the quarterback's not going to be quarterback very long because they're liable to get blindsided. You see, we all have a role to play in God's kingdom. And rather than being envious of one another, let's find our talent and do it with zeal. Rather than biting and devouring each other with envy and with pride. That's what's going on with Korah. Now, going on in Numbers chapter 16, verses 12 through 14, we have another, it's part of the same rebellion, but a different faction. And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and they, but they said, we will not come up. Is it, a, is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? That you should keep acting like a prince over us? Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. So now Moses reaches out to, he's pleaded with Korah. Now he reaches out to the other half of this rebellion and he goes to Dathan and Abiram and he says, will you please come talk to him? And they say, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that because you have led us into this terrible place. Now I want you to think about the context here when Dathan and Abiram says what they say. These are folks that had been in slavery in Egypt. That was no small thing. They were beaten, they were whipped, they were made to be taskmaster or, or slaver, slavery for, slave labor for the taskmasters of Egypt. They had seen the ten plagues of Egypt. Wouldn't you have liked to have seen just one of those? Just to behold the power of God? They saw all of them. Darkness, frogs, rivers turned to blood, death of the firstborn, all of that. They saw all of that. Can you imagine being a spectator for that? They had been led by a pillar of fire out of Egypt. Now, I don't know how you got here this morning. It was a long drive for us when, we, when well, for Christy, whenever she came up here to Plainview, she probably used Waze. It's an amazing machine. You know what Waze doesn't do? It doesn't put a pillar and fire in front of your car and go down the road. That would be pretty amazing. Would you download that app? I would. That'd be pretty fun. They got to see a pillar of fire guiding them out of Egypt. They saw the Red Sea parted. Can you imagine? Sometimes we just let that roll off our tongue. Folks were talking about a sea that parted. They walked through on dry ground. And then after they made it through, it closed back on, and they killed and consumed the army of Egypt, one of the world's greatest armies. They saw that. And then they had been present at Mount Sinai with all the thundering and the lightning, and they were so scared they didn't even want to touch the mountain. They drew back. They were terrified because of the power of God. They had heard the report of the 12 spies that reported that the land that God had promised them was a land flowing with milk and honey. And they knew that the only reason they had not obtained that land was because of their own sin and rebellion. And they had been sent manna from heaven to feed them while they were wondering. And yet these folks had the audacity to stand up before Moses and say, Egypt is the land of milk and honey. You've led us into something else. Now, if that's not a slap in the face to God and to Moses, I don't know what could possibly be. 
God had performed numerous miracles for them. God had led them into an, uh, uh, out of slavery to the brink of Canaan, which was flowing with milk and honey. The only reason they're not in there is because of their own conduct. And they stand up and they have the audacity to go to Moses and say, you have misled us. You have led us into a worse place. And sometimes you and I can be guilty of doing something like that. Have you ever found yourself really down about your life? Have you ever gotten, you know, just really like, man, things are not going well? Let me tell you what a pretty good cure for that is. Think about all your blessings. I want you to just think about your blessings. We don't. Do you know how many times you have been blessed since the time you woke up this morning to hear? There's a lot. You woke up. You breathed. You got to say hello to your family or your friends or people here. You're going to get to have lunch after this is over, Lord willing, if we make it through the service. There's a lot of things that we have been blessed with. I'm here with my wife. My daughter is here. My other daughter's going to church in Austin. I'm blessed. And folks, whenever you and I get depressed or whenever we get down, whenever we think life is difficult, it really does help to count your blessings. That's why we have that song. Christy is, you know, the Brent whisperer many times whenever I get upset. She's really good at coming to me and saying, hey, can you just calm down for a moment and think about how things are and maybe how things could be worse? And you know, whenever she gets my attention so that I can actually think about that, it usually works. We need to think more about our blessings and not call the evil good. In Isaiah chapter 5 and in verse number 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. God's blessed you. If you think you're not blessed, we're calling evil good and good evil. God has blessed us, and we just need to open our eyes and see those blessings. In Romans chapter 6 and verses 20 through 21, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Look, I'm not telling you that life can't be hard, and I know we may have some people here this morning that really may have some issues that are weighing on them, and I get that. I'm not telling you that those things are not real, but listen, here's why every one of us is blessed, no matter what our lot in life is, because whatever is going on in your life, whatever is going on in your life, if you are covered by the blood of Christ, you've got eternity. I don't care how bad your life is, folks. If we are covered by the blood of Christ, we have eternity. And we have left behind all of those other things that had no fruit, that were shameful. And so I know life gets tough. I've been there. I know that there are things that weigh us down and that are, that are awful. I get that. I mean, there, I, was, I was just talking the other, the other day. We were talking about hotels and the quality in here. I don't know if it's still here, but the quality in I was talking about, I remember it because I brought my daughters up for one of your meetings. And I was hanging out in my clothes when I learned my grandfather died. And I had to drive back all night for my grandfather's funeral. That was tough. It was tough. Because he was a great man. And I loved him. But let me tell you something. What made that bearable was I was surrounded by family. I was surrounded by friends. I understood what my granddaddy's life had been like. Folks, there are blessings in Christ. We just need to open our eyes and see them.
And too many times we don't. Moses' response at this is he is pretty angry, and he asked the Lord not to respect their offering. Moses is human. He had had enough of this rebellion. And so he was reaching the end of his rope. And so he instructs the rebels to bring their censers of incense to the contest tomorrow. He's never doubted God. Now, Numbers chapter 16, verses 18 through 27, so every man took a censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, and stood at the door of the tabernacle of meeting with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. Now, the glory of the Lord is sometimes referred to, and people pronounce it different ways. I'm just going to pronounce it as Shekinah. It, is a, it was a, 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 a cloud of light that announced God's presence. Can you imagine seeing that? It often filled the temple so that you knew that God's presence was there. And as these folks are standing at the tabernacle, about to engage in this contest, the glory of the Lord appears to all the congregation. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces, and said, O God, the God of the spirits and of all flesh, shall one man sin, and you be angry with all the congregation? So the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the congregation, saying, Get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram. The elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. So they got away from around the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out, and listen to this. They came out. And they stood at the door of their tents with their wives, their sons, and their little children. Can you imagine? They are standing there in open rebellion to God with their wives and their little kids. Fathers, if you don't think you can do a disservice to your family with poor leadership, this story ought to dispel that. Mothers, if you don't think you can do a disservice to your family, this story ought to dispel that. I can't imagine. Look at some of the little kids right here. Can you imagine parents boldly defying God in the door of their tents? But that's exactly what happened. You see, they ignored the more warnings. Don't you think that whenever the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle, you would have rethought maybe a little bit your course of action? I mean, I, I just can't imagine what that would be like. Do you think whenever Moses prayed to God and God's answer was separate them from the tents, I'm going to consume them, do you think maybe you might have thought for a second, hey, I need to do something different here? What about when Moses asked for the rest of Israel to separate and everybody walks away from you to get away from you because they're afraid they are about to die? Can you imagine just standing there in the doors of your tents with your kids? You say, I can't imagine that. Folks, a lot of us, a lot of people today do that. People know the word of God. People know they need to be right with God. They know they need to be leading their family right. They know their family's in a place that could be better and they just will not submit to God. Don't be like these folks. Don't stand in the door of your house with your precious kids and family and just continue to defy God. God is warning you 
God is pleading with you. And yet, these warnings were ignored. In the 81st Psalm, in the 11th verse, but my people would not heed my voice, and Israel would have none of me. In Matthew 23 and 37, our master looks over Jerusalem and says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Can you imagine being on the day of judgment? Is there anything more painful than when your life and your soul hangs in the balance for God and Jesus to look at you and say, Brent, how often we wanted to to reconcile you. We wanted to sanctify you and justify you. We wanted your family to be right with God, but, but you would not. Can you imagine? Folks, don't let an opportunity for salvation, for getting right with God, pass you. Because in Numbers chapter 16, verses 28 through 35, it says, And Moses said, by this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own will. If these men die naturally, like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down and alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Now I want to stop right there. Moses here has upped the ante on this test. You know, he's just saying God's going to show us who his holy people are. Now he's saying, look, here's how you're going to really know it's God. If these guys just die any old death, that's not it. What has to happen for this to really be God is we have to see a new thing. And what that's going to be is the earth is going to open up and they're going to go down alive into a pit. Do you think Moses had confidence in what God was going to do? I do. Do you think Moses believed that God was with him? I do. And let me tell you something, when we trust God and put our confidence in him, he will not let us down if we are right with him. Now it came to pass as he finished speaking all these words that the ground split apart under them and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men with Korah, with all their goods. So they and all those with them, including those little kids, went down into the pit. The earth closed over them and they perished from among the assembly. Then all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, Lest the earth swallow up us up also. And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. God pronounced judgment over this rebellion. And when he did, it was swift, it was final, and it was exactly what Moses had said. The earth opened up and swallowed Korah and his rebellion. And fire came down from heaven and, and consumed the 250 men offering incense. We serve a loving God, but we serve a just God. And let me tell you something, if we continue in rebellion, if we are obstinate, if we are defiant, if we stand in the doors of our tent with our chins held high, God will judge us someday. He doesn't want to, but he will. So the rebels are destroyed without warning. You know, Moses, uh, but not without warning. Moses had fallen on his face. Moses had pleaded with Korah. Moses had asked to meet with Dathan and Abiram. Moses had prayed for the people. You see, there had been a lot of warnings. They had heard the command to separate. They didn't do anything. Can you imagine the reaction of a survivor to this scene? Can you imagine watching that? 
Can you imagine being next to these families and watching the earth just open and whoop, they go down? And can you imagine fire coming from heaven and consuming 250 people? I can't imagine that. I can't imagine the effect that would have on me. You know, there are times that we see things and we go, wow, I don't know that I'll ever be able to unsee that because it was so terrible. Folks, this is one of those times. So how do they react? They said, whoa, they seem to be on the right path now, right? They said, whoa, we gotta, we gotta do what's right. We gotta run because God may consume us. That was their reaction then. But in Numbers chapter 16 and verse number 41, on the next day, on the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. Now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron, that they turned toward the tabernacle of meeting, and suddenly the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came from the tabernacle of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. Isn't that amazing? These people had just seen what had happened. They had just seen what had happened. And they go right back to rebellion. And you say, wow, that's crazy. Really? How many times have you committed a sin and you've grieved over that sin and you go right back to that sin? How many times have you caused problems for something that you've done that is against God's word and you find you're right back in that mire again? See, we are human. We can do the same thing. These people again rebelled. This time they accused Moses rather than understanding that it was God of killing Korah and Dathan and Abiram. So the very next day they rebelled, and again they're warned. <laughs> I just don't understand. It's hard for me. Whenever they go to rebel, all the same things start happening again. They start rebelling, and the glory of the Lord appears. Now, you watch the glory of the Lord appear, and God kill all these people yesterday. When the glory of the Lord appears, don't you think that would have triggered something? Sometimes we can be so blind. They heard the command for Moses and Aaron to separate. Don't you think that would have triggered something? That's the same command that was given the day before. Moses and Aaron fall on their faces again, like they did before. And yet this people persisted in their rebellion. They did not repent. I, I just don't know. I'll give you a silly example. There used to be a ride at Astroworld called the, I don't remember what it was called. It was one of these rides that dropped you, you know, 10, 10 stories or something like that. And whenever you got up to the top, it would, you know, kind of click. And if you've ridden that ride before, you knew that click meant that you were in the top. And look, whenever that thing clicked, there was something that kind of went on in your stomach a little bit. And then that, that, that car would ease out over the drop zone. And let me tell you something, when that car eased out over the drop zone, your, your, the butterflies went up a little bit more. And then I, I think just to terrify everybody, then what they would do is they would have a siren that would start going off. And it'd go whoop, whoop, and it'd go about three or four times, and then it would fall. And when that siren is going off, your heart is going, unless you've really got a, unless you really are strong and like heights. Folks, that's a silly example, but 
but something like that should have been happening to these people. All of the warning signs are being triggered, and yet they continue to rebel. Number 16, 46 through 50. So Moses said to Aaron, Take a censer and put fire in it from the altar. Put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly. And already the plague had begun among the people. So he put in the incense and made atonement for the people. And listen, and he stood between the dead and the living. So the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700 besides those who died in the Korah incident. So Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle of meeting for the plague had stopped. I love this. I just love this imagery. Moses and Aaron are sitting there and the people are rebelling. And God says, get away from them. I'm about to consume them in a moment. And Moses immediately knew something was different. There would be no pleading this time. There would be no prayer. There would be no time for a sacrifice. He knew that it was urgent. Things had already begun. And he turns to Aaron and he says, you're the only one who can stop this right now. Take your fire. Take your incense. Go and make atonement for them. And so Aaron runs to Israel's rescue. This is the same Israel that had rebelled again and again. The same Israel that had accused them of taking a position that didn't belong to them. The same Israel that had said, you've led us to a bad place. The same Israel that had accused them of being murderers that very morning. And Aaron takes his fire and he takes his censer and he runs into the midst of the plague. He did not stop to consider develop the plague. He did not stop to consider his own safety. Aaron simply runs into the plague. And he, run, he ran and he stood between death and life. Now that should conjure up all kinds of images in our minds. It should make us think about some things. You know, there is a plague today. I don't know if you know that or not. Well, most of us say, well, it's COVID. No, it's not COVID. It may feel like it's COVID, but it's not COVID. That's not the plague I'm talking about. Romans 3 and 23 says, For all have sinned and come short or fall short of the glory of God. We may feel like COVID is rampant, but unless all of you have, uh, have uh, been tricked, I'm assuming some of you believe that you're negative from COVID this morning. Some of you don't have it. I hope all of you don't. But, you know, we all don't have COVID. All of us, every last one of us, don't matter where we are, doesn't matter how much money we have, doesn't matter what country we live in. Doesn't matter what our circumstances are. We all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. There's a plague of sin. Now, COVID's been bad. It's taken some people from us. I know it's taken some people here. Let me tell you something. Sin will kill every last one of us. Every last one of us. And it will do far worse than killing our bodies. It'll kill our soul. Romans 6 and 23, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. We have a plague today. Now let me tell you something. For those of you who are outside of the body of Christ this morning, there is good news. There is good news. 
Christ stands for you between life and death this morning. In the 106th Psalm, in the 21st to the 23rd verse, it says, They forgot their Savior who hath done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore he said that he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he destroy them. That was the part that Moses played. And Moses was a forerunner in this instance of Christ. Because in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, when the Bible talks about the work of Christ, he says, For when we were still without strength, while we were rebellious, while we were sinners, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You see, there is a plague of sin. God knew it. Jesus knew it. And what Jesus did is he ran into that plague for us. He was not concerned about his body. He was not concerned about what he would have to endure. He ran into that and he gave himself for us so that you and I would have the opportunity to be saved. He stood between death and life for us. In Hebrews chapter 10, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. If you are here this morning and you are outside of the body of Christ, the good news is there is an Aaron for you. There is someone better than Aaron. There is Christ. Folks, sin will kill you. The plague is coming for you. Satan will devour you unless you have Christ. Christ also is our intercessor. He stands between us and God. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, as he also says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears, to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. You see, Christ intercedes for us. He offers up prayers and supplications on our behalf. Isn't that wonderful? Has, does it ever feel good to have someone pray for you when you need it? It does. If you've ever had it, it does. It feels real good. Now look, I love all of y'all. I'd love to have any one of you praying for me. But Christ praying for me? That's something else. The Bible says that Christ and the Holy Spirit make make groans and noises and things for us for with things that we just can't utter. It kind of supplements our prayers. It knows what we need. And Christ being an intercessor is important. In Romans 8 and 34, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore it is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us, standing between us and the judgment of God. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 7, verses 24 through 25. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who came to God through him, since he always lives 
to make intercession for them. That's what Christ does. He lives, he lives to make intercession for us. My question this morning is, those who are outside of Christ, Christ will stand before you. Christ will be your intercessor. But you know, Christ works through us who are in the body of Christ. And my question is, will you also stand between life and death this morning? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 2, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as the thief in the night. You know, whenever Moses saw that the plague had started, Moses said, we don't have time. We don't have time. Take your censer and you run. We don't have time. Folks, this morning, we don't have time. We don't have any time. God could come back at any moment. This is urgent. It is a matter of life and death, and it is urgent. And we need to understand that. In Mark chapter 16, 15 through 16, he said to them, Go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. That's the stakes. Folks who have not obeyed the gospel will be condemned on the day of judgment. And that could happen at any time. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, And to give you who are troubled rest with us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. It's urgent. And the stakes simply could not be any higher. Now, maybe some of you are out there and you're saying, look, I, there are people that I've reached out to. There are people that I've tried to connect with. And you know what? It's not working. My response to you this morning and my encouragement to you this morning is never give up. God doesn't. In 2 Peter chapter 3, and verse number 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Why is he long-suffering? He's long-suffering because he wants everyone to come to repentance. He's holding out hope for all of us that we would turn and that we would follow him. Now let me tell you something. If our Lord and Savior is not giving up and declaring this thing over yet, you and I should not be giving up either. Don't you ever give up in trying to save souls. It is too important. If you had someone who was in grave danger, a family member or a child, would you ever give up trying to save them? You wouldn't. Don't give up on their soul. Don't give up. Moses and Aaron could have said, it's too late, the plague started. Moses said, I don't care, get after it. Run. Do you have members of your family that are in jeopardy to the plague of sin this morning? There is no time. You need to run. Stand between life and death and proclaim the gospel to them. Are there other souls, co-workers, friends, others that you know are not in God's kingdom because they have not obeyed the gospel? The plague has already started. Souls are dying. Run into the breach. Stand between life and death and show them the way of salvation from God's word. And if you were here this morning 
and you have sins that are festering and defeating you even though you have obeyed God. Today, not later, is the day of salvation. Pray to Christ so he can intercede, reconcile, and forgive you standing between you and life and death. Folks, this is too important. If you're here this morning and you have not obeyed the gospel of Christ, he is running into the breach for you. He is standing this morning between life and death. He is holding back the plague if you will just obey his gospel. Folks, don't pass that opportunity up. Grab hold of salvation. Don't be like Korah. Don't be like the people that followed Korah. If you're here this morning and you have things in your life that are just too much right now, and you need help, that's what Christ is for. He is in the breach for you, interceding. He wants to stand between life and death for you to, to protect you from where Satan is trying to get you. Satan is walking around like a roaring lion. He will eat you up. God will protect you. Won't you come as we stand and sing the song of invitation?